0: If you would, keep your Bible or your bulletin open to Luke 24, and uh, we will refer to it a couple of times and make sure that is on, isn't it? Okay, let me pray for us. Father, uh, first, I want to thank you again for Savannah and her work in Bogota. I pray for her, too, that you would um, grant the things that she has asked us to pray for, that you would uh, enable her to to raise the final 40% and even beyond uh, of support that she needs to continue her ministry. Uh, Would you do that? Would you surprise her? Uh, in the ways that you do that. Um, and then we pray for her friend that she mentioned um, and ask that you would continue to pursue his heart. God, he, he sings the gospel week after week, and he hears it, I'm sure, taught from your word. Uh, would you capture his heart? Um, draw him to yourself. Uh, and make him an instrument of the good news to all those um, with whom he will uh, come in contact from now on. Would you do that? And would you give uh, Savannah and her friends and his friends the joy of seeing that happen? And now for us, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus um, in your word? Thank you for giving him to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in my first two years of seminary, uh, first two of of four very long years of seminary, uh, about 25 years ago, I actually lost my love for the Bible, Um, and my heart struggled to hang on to the God of the Bible. Uh, Somehow the gospel lost its flavor on my desk over time, and I began to chase after, feed on things that I thought were sweeter, um, but were not. They were poison to my soul and my relationships. Um I was lost and confused about who Jesus was and why he mattered. I was discouraged. I was defeated by some habitual sin patterns that I I thought I had no hope that God would ever change me. Um I was distant from my young wife, had no clue how to love her. Um all of this drove me to a, a Christian counselor's office where I spent the next two years, the final two years of my seminary time, uh, working through what, what does it mean uh, to be the sinner that I am. Uh, actually, I was a whole lot worse than I thought I was. And I was pretty, pretty bad. Um, still am, but the counselor was gracious and kind enough to help me see that it was worse than I thought. Um, But I also learned in those two years that the gospel is better than I thought. During that time, he gave me uh, an article to read by a guy named Don Hudson. And when I read this article, the first time I read it, It seemed radical to me. I'd never heard anything like it. Um, I went to a Christian high school. I was a Bible major in college, and I'd spent two years in seminary. And I'd never heard, for whatever reason, whether it was was probably me that wasn't listening, but I'd never heard uh, what Don was saying. And uh, I found that his story was similar to mine. Listen to what he said. He said, each passing year of college and seminary brought a gradually decreasing interest in the Bible. The iridescent, passionate flames that I entered college with were cooling to a few glowing embers. I read that. and I was like, yeah, that's me. He said, I think my interest was waning because as much as I knew about the Bible... My knowledge never touched me where I lived. I was wrestling with a few significant problems in my life, and the Bible was dead. I studied the Bible, but it did not speak to me. Oh, he had me right there, because he was describing me. And then he said that he learned to read the Bible as the great story that God was telling, the story in which he was being invited to participate play a role and as i read that believe it or not after 10 or more years of bible at that point i've never really heard or thought about the bible as a story i knew there were stories here's part of what he said about that he said what terrifies me about my generation is that we have lost the importance of seeing the bible as it was written as a story We have reduced the Bible to a few significant proof texts, a few commandments, a few steps to secure the good life. We see the Bible just as we see the average self-help book in the bookstore. Not a mysterious, intriguing, beguiling story to be caught up in, but a list of principles that will remove the mystery and the suffering of our lives. He goes on to say, the Bible is a story, not a list of principles prohibitions or commandments or proverbs or steps, but a story. I do not read the Bible as a story because I happen to enjoy that way of reading. I read the Bible as a story because that's the way the Bible presents itself. God has spoken to us in story, and we will do well to listen to the way God has spoken. That was it. I had forgotten that the Bible was telling a real living and active story about a real God who had created and was now redeeming a community of people to join him in his mission to renew all things through the work of Jesus Christ. Renew all things, including this wayward seminary student who felt like he was about to go under for the last time. Now, It'd be easy to blame seminary, or an overemphasis on the finer points of theology, or to blame the study of Greek or Hebrew. Uh, it, it wasn't that. It was this heart that wasn't listening to the story. Um, all of those things that I had been getting were, were meant to help me learn the story. Um, so this counselor, as well as the man who was my pastor at that time, they both helped me to unpack the good and the bad and the ugly of my story and to understand it in the light of God's larger story. And so uh, 25 or so years later, I'm still continuing to learn that if I'm going to live as, as a disciple of Jesus... I need to learn the story of Jesus, love the story of Jesus, and live in the story of Jesus. Better than that, I need to learn the Jesus of the story, love the Jesus of the story, and live in the Jesus of the story. And so my prayer and hope for Mountain Fellowship is that we would become story people, that we would become people who love and learn and live in God's story. And so this fall, we're going to uh, look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and try to get a little bit of a grasp of how it all fits together. Um, and we're going to do that. I'll start more on that next week, but we're going to do that through the lens of the theme of the kingdom of God. Um, I'm going to be using um, a book called God's Big Picture, uh, tracing the storyline of the Bible as kind of the background of the sermon series. Um, This is not a commercial, but if you're interested, there are copies of the book in the back. Leave 10 bucks and take a book. If you don't have 10 bucks, I'm not going to hunt you down. Take a book. Um, But that 's kind of the underlying that will go deeper than what I can do on Sunday mornings, and the men are using that same book as their Bible study, um, so help yourself uh, to a copy of that. Um, I found myself in the same place that I think those two disciples on the road to Emmaus found themselves lost, confused, cynical. you know cynicism is that, yeah, right, feeling that we have. You, know, you hear all these good things about God and Jesus and the gospel, and, and your heart goes, mm, yeah, right. I was there, and I, I get there. But what Jesus did when he met those two on the road uh, is interesting. He hid his identity from them. There he was standing beside them, but they didn't know it was him instead of, before revealing who he was to them, he did something else. He opened up the scriptures for them. Now, he didn't have a scroll in front of him, but these guys knew the stories of the Old Testament. So Jesus, on that seven-mile walk to Emmaus, just walked through all the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, some of the Psalms, and he showed them how they were all about him. He just unpacked it. Interesting, isn't it, that instead of revealing himself right there in bodily form, wouldn't that have been the easiest way to get them to believe? No. He opened the scriptures to them and showed them how the Bible was all about him. That's when their hearts begin to burn. Let me, let me show you one way of looking at the whole picture of the Bible um, I'm not saying this is what Jesus told them, but, but look at this. Let's, uh, let's pretend that this book represents the Bible. There's the first page, and there's the last page. Um, when you open up the first page, the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, are all about creation. And in creation, we find that God has created heaven and earth, Day and night, he made the seventh day holy. There's God and people in relationship, and he made them into a kingdom of priests. This is what God did in the first two chapters of the Bible. But if you go to the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, you find new creation. There will be a new heaven and earth. There will be no darkness at all. Every day will be holy, and God and people will live together, and we will be His kingdom of priests. First two chapters of the Bible, last two chapters of the Bible. In the third chapter of the Bible, it's what we call the fall, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Satan deceives, sin deforms, suffering and death destroy starting in chapter 3 of the Bible. In the third to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation, it's the final judgment, where Satan is doomed, sin is damned, suffering and death are destroyed. That's amazing, isn't it, how that works out? So the first two chapters of the Bible are resolved in the last two chapters of the Bible. In fact, that's what Laura was talking about a while ago the new creation is going to be better than Eden. And the conflict of chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, will be resolved in the third to last chapter um, in the final judgment. Now, the way to get from Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21 and 22 and from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is all through the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Jesus is what the entire story is about. He is the hinge on which everything turns. And that's what he was explaining to those two on the road to Emmaus. And uh, that's what made their hearts begin to burn. And so we too need to see the story of Jesus and understand how to live in it. Um, Now, you've heard me say this before, but I want to go into a little more detail about this for for just a minute. Um, That the Bible is the story of Jesus in 3D. Let me explain what I mean by those 3Ds. We just really looked at the Bible as a drama. Primarily... The Bible is a story. It's a narrative. It's a drama. Let's, if we put it in four acts like a play, it would work kind of like this. Act 1 is creation. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Act 2 is the fall. Genesis 3 through 11. Act 3 is redemption. Genesis 12 through the Gospel of John. That's a big old chapter right there. In Acts 4, restoration we understand, is unpacked from Acts through Revelation. So the Bible is a drama. That's the first D. But it's a drama that also contains notes. Notes that help you understand and learn the drama. We call those doctrine. It's teaching. So the Bible is full of doctrine, yes, that helps you to understand the drama. Um, Doctrine is something that... uh, Anna, could you bring me my water, please, if it's over there? It's not there. Thank you so much. Um, Real quick, doctrine answers these kinds of questions. Who is God? What is He up to? Who are we? What's gone wrong? How did God remedy the problem? And what is the Spirit doing now? So doctrines all through the scriptures, probably the most clear examples of doctrine are uh, the letters in the New Testament where the apostles unpack for us and help us to understand both the characters and uh, the plot of the story. They help us to understand and get the answers to all of these things. So there's notes within the story that help us learn the story. But then there's also notes within the story that help us to understand how to live in the story. There's directions in the Bible. All of the commands, there's 612 of them in the Old Testament, start today. Um, But the New Testament is also full of commands. We learned in Sunday school this morning that the book of James has 50 commands in it. And it's only 108 verses long. So the directions tell us how to live in the story. And they answer this question, how do we join God in what he's doing now? So, that's the Bible in 3D. And as I have thought about this and and tried, this makes the whole book make sense to me. And I've said this before, but uh, you can take all of Tolkien's writings, the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, all the Cimmerillion, all of those, And you can understand, you can see the big story that he's telling about Middle-earth. You can even buy, uh, like I have, a a little guide to Middle-earth that is sort of a dictionary or an encyclopedia of Middle-earth. Well, that's like the doctrine. It answers all these questions about the people and the places and the things that are going on in the story. But you can't buy a book that tells you how to live in the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings story. There are people who think they do. (laughs) And we think they're weird. But the Bible tells us how to live in the story. And people think we're weird for thinking that we live in it as well. So, um, what we're going to do over the next ten more weeks is we're going to unfold the drama We're going to look at the drama. Um, And uh, using that book back there would be helpful to you. But each week, I'm going to hand out... In fact, I need some volunteers to help me hand these out and make sure everybody gets one of these. I'm going to hand out these little Bible reading guides. Um, Thank you. And on these guides, what they're going to do is there's five days' worth of Bible readings. And they're actually covering the passages that I'm going to preach on the next week. So we're going to look at some of Genesis 1 and 2 next week. And so what this Bible reading guide does is allows you as an individual or as a family, you could use these for family devotions if you want, to be getting into the story. Um, And so by the time we're done, you will have gotten major passages, um, throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, And the purpose of that is getting the big picture so that you fall in love with the story. But remember, there's also doctrine in the Bible. So doctrine or or theology, if you want to call it that. It's teaching. Um, And uh, as we go through this sermon series, our confession of faith every Sunday morning, you'll see we started today, is going to come from Uh, The New City Catechism. And there are a bunch of copies of this back there on that table. And you can have this one for free. Um, One per family. This is full of what they've done is they've kind of taken up the teaching of Scripture and asked questions of the Bible, like what is God? We looked at that today. And answer. So we're going to be doing that in worship, but if you want to take this and use it with your family, it's also online for free, newcitycatechism.com, I believe. There's, there's a children's version. There's also songs to help children memorize uh, and adults memorize. So if you'd like uh, to use that to help you study the doctrine that helps you learn the story of Jesus. And then what are practical ways that you can... L- learn to live in the story of Jesus, come to a fellowship group. Join a group of people who are learning what it means to live in the story of Jesus. Walk together. Fellowship groups, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, getting together just individually with folks. Get in some sort of relationship with someone who will journey with you as you do that. And finally, I want to just briefly... Uh, tell you about the back of that Bible study guide. Um, how do we respond to the story? This is, this is how you live in the story. And I believe the New Testament gives us three basic responses. You've heard me say this before. This will not be the last time you hear me say this. You will be annoyed because I'm going to say, all this, say this so many times. We repent. We believe we obey. This is how you live in the story of Jesus. Look, Jesus said it in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. A few verses later, he said to the disciples, follow me. How do you respond to the gospel? You, you repent, you believe the gospel, and you follow Jesus. In Acts, Jesus told Paul, look, I'm sending you to preach the gospel so that they may, the blue ones are about repenting, turn from darkness and turn from the power of Satan. The green ones are about believing. Turn to light, turn to God, receive forgiveness of sins. And the orange ones are about um, obeying, to be sanctified or holified is the way I like to say it, by faith in me. Then he says it again, he, that Paul preached that people should repent, Turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. First Thessalonians six. What did they do? They turned from God, uh, to, to God, from idols, to serve the living and true God. Repent, believe, obey. And then Jesus said, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, identify with the cross of Christ, and follow Him. So that looks like this. Forgive me, we're going to run a few minutes late today. Sorry. But I'm almost done. Look, when you hear the story of Jesus, when you hear the music of the gospel, you respond by dancing and you do the gospel waltz. You repent, you believe, you obey. Three steps you repent, you believe, you obey. When you repent, you're asking, how has God shown me my need to repent, to turn from sin? Then you turn to believing. How is my sin causing me to be desperate for Christ, to turn to Him and rest in His sacrificial love for me? Preach the gospel to yourself again. And then how is faith in Christ strengthening me to respond to and rely on His love for me with love for God and love for people? How is the love of Christ compelling me to love God and love others in obedience to him. And so, on the back of that little Bible guide sheet, I have on there that when you read any part of the story in the Bible, any part of the Bible, ask these questions, respond with repentance, with belief, with obedience following Jesus. Um, So, This is a little bit of a kind of a preparation and coaching you up for the rest of the sermon series, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to soak in the story. We're going to look at the doctrine that teaches us how to learn the story, and then we're going to repent, believe, and obey together as we seek to live in the story together. Um, That's what we're going to try to do this fall. Friends, just as those... Disciples on the road to Emmaus first saw Jesus in the scriptures, he then allowed them to see him in the breaking of the bread. And so, we're not just story people at this church, we're supper people. We're not just people about the teaching, we're people about the table. And so, let us go to the table now um, as I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Um, I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us as a people at Mountain Fellowship to see our stories caught up in yours. And would you help us not only to love and learn and live in the story of Jesus, but to love and learn and live in Jesus the Jesus of the story. We thank you for this meal, for this supper that also proclaims Jesus to us. We ask now that you would take uh, this bread and this cup and set them aside from their normal use so that they might be for us um, sweet reminders, um, a sign and a seal of your love for us as you have shown it through the sacrifice of your Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.